Hey everybody, thank you for joining me again on the Architecture Show. Before I tell you about today's show, I've got a quick request. If you like what you hear, and you've got a little bit of extra pocket change, head on over to my Patreon account at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can think about making a donation to the show. Uh, this is all crowdfunded. I don't have any sponsors. There's some little things that I'd like to do to improve the quality and make this show sustainable. So only if you're able, uh, head on over to Patreon and you can see a couple of the options that I've laid out there. Now, today's show is really special. Uh, I had a chance to talk to a guy named Scott Martin, who is an awesome multifaceted human being. He is a, a father, a husband, an artist, uh, and a photographer, and a historic home renovator. In particular, though, his photography work played an interesting role in a really high-profile construction job here in San Antonio. If anybody knows of the Pearl Brewery development and the Hotel Emma, Scott was the staff photographer for the Hotel Emma project. It's a big renovation of a historic uh, brewery here in San Antonio that's now a world-class hotel. And in addition to being photographer, he surprisingly uh, had a really important role on the construction team. That's a little bit later in the conversation, so just hang out and we'll get to that. But the rest of Scott's life story is just fascinating and wonderful, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. This episode is called Chasing the Light with Scott Martin. Until just now, I hadn't really been clear about what exactly this conversation is going to be about. Because sure. you're an interesting guy, right? Like Scott Martin, the son of an architect. Scott Martin, the the photographer, filmmaker, traveler. Scott Martin, the the creator of Scott's List from his adventure in renovating a historic home in San Antonio. But, you know, now I think that I think this is going to be a conversation about craft and kind of your your journey through craft and kind of where you are now and even the the documentary that you just that you shot and showed me a portion of on the hotel emma is in large part an experience in craft itself you not only crafted the filming of it that was a work of craft for you but you witnessed all of that craft happening where did all this start for you like what's the scott martin story yeah well growing up with my dad we would as a little kid we would go to a lot of construction sites okay. and walk them after hours right you know he had a couple hard hats in the back of his honda accord and and um and so it was really fun to wear the hard, hard hat and go on site with him and look around and you know if it was uh even if it was just a house going up um you know, he would be, we would be in the car and he'd be like, wow, look at that. There's a house going up. Let's stop and look real quick. And just on spur of the moment, we just stop and put on the hard hats and just walk the slab and look around. And, um, you know, I remember him saying, okay, it looks like it's going to be three bedrooms, two bath. Oh, it looks like the, the master bedroom is over here and they're, he's, they're going to have a him and hers bathroom and all just from a slab. You know, no, no studs had gone up at all. And I just was just amazed by him that he could like see the whole house just from this concrete slab. And, and so when we, 
you know, had school projects and stuff, we would break out some saws and build little things with wood. And, and, um, so all that was very exciting to me as a little kid. And, um, you know, I didn't realize it, but those were really formative experiences. What made you latch on to photography in particular? You, you mentioned your dad looked at a slab and could see what wasn't there. And it, I would guess that as a photographer, you can look at any moment in life and see more of what's there than maybe other people do. Um, so what's that journey been like for you? It's your own like interpretation of it. There are like little nuggets of, of incredible things happening everywhere. And so to work with that photographically can be very fun just to isolate and break things down to something very simple is, is a very exciting task for me. But, you know, um, I guess I never really thought about it. I, I, I grew up spending a lot of time in hospitals. And um, when I was 15, I had the opportunity to, to work there to get a job. And, or it seemed like the obvious thing, you know, to get a job when you're 15. And, and so I, I chose the photography department. It just sounded like a lot of fun, you know. I saw that there were photographers in the operating room. You know, when my brother was being operated on, they were taking pictures of it and scrubs and everything. Photography department of the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, what's that like? I never, I think of all the departments in a hospital, I don't think of the photography department of a hospital. Right. The uh, The Methodist Hospital in Houston had an okay. uh, awesome photography department in the, in the 80s and, and 90s. And this was filmed. Yeah, it was all film, um, and ex- including X-ray and cines and cinescopes, um, and uh, there were about twelve of us in there. There were studios, there were labs where we would print, um, and um, I quickly, well, I split my time between shooting with the photographers assisting and and making prints in the in the wet darkroom, and I really liked that process. I like crafting a print, you know the. You're spending a lot of time with it and masking with your hands and and making a mediocre negative look just great uh, on paper, you know, bringing it to life. I think the the woman that taught me Shirley, she was like, you know, we got to bring these images to life. And um, so anyway, I used to print all of Doctor DeBakey's cinescopes back in the day. What's a cinescope? A a cinescope is where they take a, a, a cine like a fiber optic and they stick it in your in, in like an artery or a vein and they mm-hmm. take pictures of your heart. So I don't know if this is something they still do, but, um, Got Dr. DeBakey, this, you know, famous heart doctor, um, used to, uh, put a cine into people's heart and take pictures of it and decide, make a lot of decisions based on those cine scopes. So I know those were horrible negatives and, wow. uh, I used to spend a lot of time with him saying, you know, we need to bring out these this area of the image and it was all very abstract to me you know it was all veins and blobs and stuff it wasn't representational photography at all right but and super important in that context right like if he's using these to make life or death decisions for people yeah you want to get it right yeah like you there's there's consequences (laughs) if this thing you put on paper is incorrect you know bringing this around to craft you said you know, masking things, masking things by hand. You're what cutting shapes out of what a piece of cardboard and putting it over a, a put it over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't into the the cutting out masks. So I was big into using my hands and 
I guess I still do that today with uh, flashlights um, when I'm shooting it in the dark. Um, I carry a lot of flashlights with me and I use my hands in front of the flashlight to sort of sculpt the light to shape it. So you start this in a hospital just as a job. All the tools that you have are in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point you you step out, you find a camera, and you start kind of doing this on your own. So what was what was teenage Scott taking pictures of? Like what what kinds of properties were you breaking into? <laughs> <laughs> and like and like I don't know, what else what else were you doing as a teenager? Like, right. were, you, were you skateboarding? Were you uh, I don't know. Like, I kind of like to who, climb buildings, or okay. I did. Um, right. So um, there were a number of uh, grain silos um, outside of downtown Houston along Allen Parkway and Waugh Drive and Studemont, all those boulevards there. Um, there, at, uh, there were water towers and grain silos, and, and those were kind of nice places to get away from it all at that age and get some perspective. You know, if you climb up 10 stories or so, the view's incredible and it's very quiet and no one can see you and it's, it's a place for you can be in your head. And the architecture of those old grain silos and all the concrete was yeah so amazing to be around. Um, so yeah, I ended up taking a lot of pictures in, in settings like that, that sort of abandoned America motif, you know, I, I got it out of my system, hopefully then. Did you get any formal education in photography? Yeah, yeah, I've got a a BA in in digital photography. Uh, I went to Evergreen in the early 90s and in Washington State. Okay. And digital photography was kind of a concept back then um, that most people were scratching their head around, what does that mean? And and, um, I was spending a lot of my time... um, doing hybrid processes that involve some digital imaging and then making large negatives and taking them into a wet dark room and making these handcrafted prints. So um, the school allows you to make your own major, if you will, if you get it approved. So I think I have the first degree in digital photography from anywhere. Oh, cool. Because it wasn't actually a thing then. But... um, you know, a, a, a lot of the stuff I got in school just wasn't very helpful, to be honest. The, the, the best education I've gotten is from working with other people, you know, working with those photographers at the hospital, working with, um, you know, I, I've got a buddy, a, a mentor of mine who is a platinum palladium printmaker, and, and I actually moved to San Antonio to study platinum palladium printmaking from him, and, and that's why I'm here. And I was telling you about my good friend, Byron in, in mm-hmm. Mexico, um, who does copper plate photogravure, which is like the ultimate um, handcrafted photographic process. Um, so, so that's kind of been the best education I've had is just working with people like that. So I know that travel has been and still is a big part of your work and your process. You looked at a photograph a little while ago when I walked in and you said, uh, yeah, this is when me and my friend went to Mexico, just, you know, chasing the light. So what's that about? Tell me about chasing the light. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, that that was a great trip. What was that? That was 94. We okay. drove down to, to Guatemala in my buddy's Volkswagen bus. And uh, we were, you know, 
we we had all our food and everything in the bus and and we didn't get hotels except for a couple times to shower but yeah we we just um we would we were generally heading south but visually noticing things and and if we saw something really exceptional we wanted to work with we would stay put and wait for the light to get interesting you know either toward the end of the day or before sunrise so it was scout by day and and shoot when the sun's low in the sky okay Um, 94 how old are you in 94 uh 22 23 okay film or digital or hybrid okay film medium format for me and what was your what was your subject matter i mean was it landscape was it people well you know i think i i grew up with people always pointing me toward landscape and um but i kept getting drawn into kind of hand of man to me the landscape by itself was just boring you know rocks and roots but if you have a snake crossing the road or or something that someone has left behind it's just infinitely more interesting to me so anyway the yeah i'm pretty fascinated by what we leave behind in terms of the built environment mm-hmm. you know it tends to outlive us so much and it says so much about us and traveling around, especially in the desert, for some reason, you know, if there's there's this beautiful, pristine landscape, and then there's, you know, there's a structure that somebody built for some reason, and they're probably dead and gone, but there's that structure. It makes me think about that person or those people, you know, what their values were. Um, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that, wondering, you know, what are we leaving behind? What are we going to leave behind, and what does it say about us as a civilization? What do you now think about humanity after a couple of decades of observing the evidence of our existence <laughs> in the landscape? I think we're in trouble, but I, I think there's some really good nuggets to hold on to. You know, um, that that intersection of the built environment and the natural environment is is the you know the primary focus of the of the hand series it's kind of my longest ongoing body of work of course there's that photo right over there of a, of a water tower that was instead of being built up on stilts um in death valley it's you know the hottest place on earth they, right they couldn't do that so they built that water tower into a, a oh, hillside cool. yeah and um and gravity flows down and it keeps the water from getting too hot and and it's just a water tower, but God, look at it. It's beautiful. And and the, the way it's built, the, the thought with which it was done is, it's like, oh, you know, you've seen a million of those. I've climbed a bunch of them, but that one's, you know, by far the most interesting because it's so thoughtfully put together. It seems so elegant. I'm from rural South Texas, and yeah. water towers are like this interesting sort of monumental architecture in Uh small town south texas right it's usually the tallest thing in town do you ever climb one i never climbed one i was uh i was a law-abiding kid (laughs) still still am i guess maybe that's why i became an architect there's there's rules to follow yeah and like you you win if you can like do something that's really nice and still follow all the rules. Check all the boxes. Well, are, it, it seems like the rules are can be kind of liberating, you know. And it, instead Sometimes. of instead of being paralyzed by by options, 
it's like with the, with architectural projects, you've got certain limitations, you know, mm -hmm. boxes that are made for you that you have to work within. And that seems like that could be really liberating. It can. I think the challenge, and even looking at an, in an old house like this, right, um, part of the challenge, if you're looking for some kind of, to create some cohesive sense of order and, um, you know, make things harmonize with each other, sometimes the rules that you have to follow create conflict in those, in those nuanced little ways, right? So what is the photographic equivalent of some of these like restrictions? What are the, what are the parameters that you have to work with as a photographer? Well, you know, I love the idea that you can do anything, you know, okay. you can make images of anything you can imagine, um, that there are no boundaries. Um, but at the same time, that can be pretty overwhelming. And, and so I, I think like architects, I think we make a box and we put ourselves in it. You know, we pick a genre and we start working within that genre. Or, you know, like a chef, we might start with a recipe and try it out. And then eventually we, we make our own recipes. Yeah, right. um, I find it important to not pay too much attention to, to other photographers or photography in general. Um, you know, I, I think that's a trap. I, I'd like my work to be influenced by the humanities you know I'd, I'd like the work to be influenced by architecture and uh, the culinary arts and and I used to teach photography workshops and and that's that's something that I would always tell groups of people is you know don't spend all your time looking at other photographers and and trying to imitate them you know think about the other aspects of your life that you're really into think about your passions and and somehow get that into your photography so yeah, when I make a body of work, it, it, it culminates in an exhibition, you know, kind of like getting something built mm -hmm. that you've designed and, and there's this big finale and there's the opening night and, and then it's, you know, that, that series or that body of work is often complete with, with that exhibition and, and, um, and there's kind of this postpartum period after that and then, and then I dive back into it and start thinking about, a new body of work and that's always a really scary time thinking about a new body of work you know if you could do anything what would you do you know with this latest body of work the lunar series i decided to work with plants uh plants of the chihuahuan desert so um i started working with uh plants at night and i would go out on on moonless nights and and light up these plants with flashlights and it was and that was kind of a that was the box i made you know i'm going to study plants um there are all these plants that i've loved my entire life and i only know like the names of a third of them right you know so it was an excellent opportunity for me to get some books and talk to botanists and like really study all these different species and varietals and really get to know these plants that are like always in front of us that I've never had a chance to study. So, um, so that was the, the, the box or the genre that I sort of made up for myself or the, the project limitations, if you will. Right. And, and once I, I settled on, on that, it was so liberating, you know, I could just go to town. It's like, okay, now I, I know what to do. And, 
I tend to work in a very manic way. Um, I've got to be alone. Um, and I, I've got to not have restrictions. When I, when I get going on something, I t tend to just like go, go, go. And once I get started, I, I don't want to stop and eat. I don't want to sleep. So, um, so it's not really compatible with being with other people, right. you know, but so in a way it's like, you've just got to like shut down the rest of your life and, and do have like a creative retreat for a while. That's interesting. So in a lot of ways, this Pearl photography project that you did, which was photography, time-lapse video, it's a long-term project. It's kind of kind of contradictory to some of the things that you just said and has resulted in this really beautiful collection of work. Um, it's totally opposite of working only with plants. Mm -hmm. It's totally opposite of working alone at night in a solitary environment. You've got a long-term job on a massive construction project, massively complicated construction project, converting this old derelict brewery into a world-class hotel, and you're documenting the whole thing. Um, you're sort of, it seemed like you're kind of part of the construction team. Um, you know, you, you showed me this little clip and there's, you know, guys in front of the camera that all have on hard hats and glasses and safety vests and gloves. And I imagine you standing behind your camera in a hard hat and glasses and safety vest and gloves because you have to, there's forms that you have to sign. And instead of having compliant, yeah. Right. Well, and instead of having this solitary experience, it's almost, it seems like maybe you're you're trying to create this artistic solitary bubble around you and your camera with everything else happening in front of you. So I don't know, man, tell me like, how'd you get that job? What was it like? You know, we talked about craft and how you're crafting this photographic body of work, documenting a gigantic work of craft in itself. Um, how'd that all happen? What was it like? Well, the, the, that 1883 brew house is just so iconic. It's so cool. It, it, it's attracted me like a magnet since I moved to San Antonio in, in 94. <clears throat> and, uh, when it was newly abandoned after 2000, I just started exploring and photographing at night. You know, I would spend sometimes three or four hours on a single shot trying to frame it and walk around in the dark and light it with flashlights and, and flashes and sometimes with gels and, and trying to, you know, how do you light up a giant cellar at night by yourself when you can't see? So you, you, were, tres you were trespassing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's how it all started. And, and it was, you know, there was no damage or anything. Yeah, I mean, of course. This is like, it's all, it's all love. It's like, wow, this is, this is awesome. I, I want to respect it. And, and do something great with this. This is not like there's no damage involved or there's no breaking in the entry, if yeah, you will, of course. you know. <laughs> so th that's how it all started. I was just making images of the abandoned spaces that I loved and felt so connected to. And um, it reminded me of some of the spaces in Houston that I grew up with um, as a teenager. And it's this big brewery and this old equipment, this, all this iron, you know. It's so fascinating, the scale of these things. And right. The, the, the 19th century, you know, 
industrialization is fascinating in and of itself. But um, after a while, the developers at the Pearl just kind of took notice and saw some of the images and contacted me and, and, and said, hey, we really kind of like what you're doing. You know, we'd kind of like you to continue, you know, we'd like to encourage you to do more of this. And, you know, they were so great. You know, they said, we don't really want to tell you what to do. I think you know what to do. And that was just mind blowing to hear that. And I don't do any commercial photography. I don't really do photography for or anyone else or right. hadn't done it. So that was a big shift for me. So, yeah, there were a number of years in the abandoned spaces and that we did some kind of fun documentation, artistic documentation of. Um, and then, you know, before I knew it, all of a sudden it was there were 300 people on site. and It was a job site. And uh, that was pretty surreal being on site with, with a bunch of guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, that was a really good experience for me. Interesting. Well, it almost seems like at that point you have sort of on your own in this solitary sort of way, like taken a bit of ownership and invested a lot of your own love in this place. And all of a sudden, like you said, there's all these people on it. So, you know, I didn't know that this, this exercise started before the quote unquote Pearl project started. And you said, you said it was good for you. Did you have to, did you have to let go a little bit? Was there any sense of invasion or did you feel like you had ownership of this thing and you had to like let people in? I think I was a little protective. I think everyone there felt protective of those spaces. I think everyone fell in love with those spaces and just really wanted to make sure that things were thoughtfully transitioned, you know, and this, the materials reuse is incredible. You know, I, um, and talking with them about their plans, um, super inspired, you know, that's when we started shooting time-lapse and the idea of a lot of those brew tanks coming out and then going back in, um, the scales, you know, the, the mill, um, I just felt like, wow, this, these people are doing amazing work, Silver Ventures, and, you know, this has got to be documented. You know, when it's all done, sure, you can look at it and sort of get a feel, but the work that they were doing was, was so exquisite. They were going to such great lengths to preserve old machines that I just felt like it just had to be told. So I hadn't really worked in time-lapse before, but it seemed like the right um, genre for that process. I'm not a videographer. I'm a, I'm a still photographer, and and you know technically time lapse is just a bunch of stills. So I like to talk about craft partly because there's this there's this attitude in the architecture and construction world that craft is just dead. Between your house and the pearl, which are two you know totally opposite scales, I think that you're witness to the fact that that is not true. Pearl is a tremendous work of craft. Hotel Irma, uh, in particular, is a tremendous work of craft. I'm wondering what you witnessed in the crafting of those places. And, you know, in your experience, what's the difference maybe between something just being built and something being crafted? Where does that come from and how does it sort of look different on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to create a, a culture of craft, right. you know, and, and I think we all we all do that in our own lives or, or we all reject it. And, you know, every decision we can make about just about anything 
there's always like an easy route right. and there's a harder route. And so choosing that harder route tends to be the, the crafted route. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I'm just completely drawn to that, to that harder route. You know, it, it can be um, masochistic at times, but so satisfying when it's done. So, yeah, I think when you embrace craft and live craft in your own life, you're going to attract that and you're going to find other people that are craft oriented. So, you know, saying people are, are you know, complaining that there isn't craft anymore is, is a little bit of a cop out because we can, we can create it or, or push it away with every move we make. What did you experience from the, from the developers to maybe the, the design team, the construction team? What were the conversations like that you were either a part of or overheard on a job site that made that level of care kind of manifest itself? When people first showed up at the job site, I think there was a lot of head scratching. You know, what, what's going on here? What, what's going to happen? And I think the, the, the owners and the developers' intent asserted themselves pretty, pretty quickly. I remember one time when the guys were removing a roof so that we could pull uh, a riveted tank out. I remember them asking, you know, why are we, why are we doing this? Why are we taking out the roof? You know, why don't we just cut this thing up and throw it away? And I was like, oh, they're going to reuse this. You know, they're going to keep it in the hotel. And they were like, what? This old tank in a hotel? And I said, yeah, they're going to keep that. They're going to keep that, that elevator over there. They're going to keep that scale. And, um, and their eyes just lit up. They were like, no way. It's going to be so cool. So, um, and that was just transformative that for them thinking that all these things were, were very precious and, and that they wanted them preserved. And, and that made for a great morale on site. You know, word got around and suddenly everybody was on board and felt like they were in a really special place and really wanted to do their best work. That's really cool. Like you weren't this solitary guy sort of moving around the site, just taking pictures. You sort of became an ambassador for the intent of the whole thing. I guess so, unintentionally. I mean, I think it's weird having a photographer on a, on a construction site, especially at the beginning during demolition. You know, it's like, what are you doing here? You know? Um, so yeah, that conversation came up. I had to, I had to explain while I, why I was there and, and talk about the importance of, of the project. Sure. I guess so. It wasn't intended. You know, I bet that your presence there was a really important part of that top down intention, making it to everybody on the site, because like you said, demolition, demolitions, labor work. Right. And yeah. the labor work that you forget about and the people who do it are some of the most unappreciated parts of architecture and construction. And I bet that just you being there, someone whose job is to show the beauty and importance of things, communicated this idea that, no, what you're doing is important. And what you're doing is important enough that I'm here to take photographs of it. Now I'm now imagining you being like this omnipresent guy, right? <laughs> well, I, I I hope it was fun for them at some times. I know it was pretty annoying at other times. You know, having to having to ask people if they could do something again or if they could just stand a little to the left. You know, I think I think I was, you know, equally annoying presence. But um, but but yeah, I think it's a story that needs to be told. And the camaraderie with the with the guys was so new to me. Everybody watching out after each other, you know, like you'd 
going up a narrow staircase, people holding two by fours on their shoulder and, you know, whipping around corners. And everybody was always looking out after each other. That like totally impressed me because I'm, I've always just kind of looked after myself. And so being in this groupthink environment where people are, you know, helping hold the two by four as they go around a corner, just, right. just like silently, but physically helping each other and keeping an eye out and making sure no one else gets hurt or whacked in the head or falls down a hole. That sort of thing was really fascinating. It was really cool. Yeah. Well, I bet, you know, looking out for, you know, because in this time lapse, it was obvious that you stationed a camera somewhere and left it there for a day or two. For in some cases, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So like the crane, like you got, you got these shots from the crane. I'm like, shit, Scott climbed the crane, and like <laughs> set up these cameras and left them there. Um, so how many cameras were there? Eight cameras. Yeah. Five long-term cameras that I could just strap to a beam and leave for, you know, years at a time with a little solar panel on them. And then there were three cameras that were, um, you know, big professional cameras that, that I would have to babysit, that I would, that I would be, I would be with on a tripod, like really close to something happening, you know? So if somebody was uh, doing some welding work, I would get a couple feet away from them, put a camera there and babysit it for a few hours. Yeah. And did you have to maybe, um, conference with those groups beforehand and kind of map out what you were going to do when, because it seemed like your work had to be in sync with the construction schedule. Yeah, no, it was kind of maddening. So, you know, getting to know everybody on the site, talking about what they're going to be doing. At one point, they were going to cut open the tanks that are in Sternworth today. And um, so I got to know the guys that were going to do that. And I just, every time I saw them, hey, is that going to happen today? Is that going to happen soon? You know, and just trying to get an idea when these important visual things are going to happen um, and actually being there for it. That was the biggest challenge. That was such a challenge because construction schedules don't stay put. Nothing ever happens when it's when it's originally planned to happen. I would love to find these people and talk to them because, again, I, I can only imagine how you asking those questions gave somebody whose job is otherwise menial a sense of a sense of importance. Like, hey, this thing that's coming up that you're going to do is actually really awesome. Mm -hmm. And, like, I need you to tell me what's going to happen. Right. Because that's something that everybody needs to see. That's awesome. And then, and obviously, and once you get that idea in place and everybody knows that there's those cameras around, how does it change the whole dynamic, right? I mean, there were some spots where you were obviously poised, ready to go. We're going to move this giant thing from over here to over here so we can bolt it to a wall. Yeah. Now these workers are performers, you know, they are part of the art and I can only imagine that that changes them somehow and changes the way that they move and changes the way that they do their work. Yeah. It was cool for the workers. I, I really wanted to tell their story. You know, it, it was a pain for the foreman and the managers that were trying to push things forward, you know, they're, they're not going to wait for the photographer to show up. You know, I was just an annoyance for right. them. I was just a fly, but it all worked out. That's awesome. And earlier you mentioned you finish a project and there's this kind of postpartum 
yeah. maybe not depression, but a postpartum period, this would have been what decade long or more relationship that you had with this building and mm-hmm. from an abandoned place that you discovered and suddenly like it's done, it's over. Right. What's your relationship with that project now? Um, and the body of work. Uh, well, I, you know, I've moved on. It, it's sort of sad to see something completed. Um, um, that was the same thing with this house. You know, when, when the job was done and, and the workers left, I, you know, God, I missed them. You know, I missed all of it. Uh, it was it was horrible to see it all finished. Um, and so I feel a little bit of the, of the same way uh, with Emma. Um, I'm not sure what to do with it. You know, I don't live there. I can't have really an ongoing relationship. It, it's out in the world now, making all these new relationships, and that's you know, that's what that's what should happen. That's that's good. Do you like to go there? Do you go to the Sternworth for drinks? Do you you like to hang out there? Is it kind of like this this life that you kind of need to be, like let it go and let it be? I think that's a pretty nice way of putting it. I kind of just need to let it be. It's a, it's a little hard, but occasionally it can be really sweet. But yeah, I think it I need to let it be. That's fascinating. It's got its own life, you know. The I know that um Silver um struggled with the the name of the place for a long time and and somebody said what about emma and uh and it just everything came into place so i just love the idea that they're telling emma's story because you know she was she's an unsung hero in an amazing time period that did amazing things so um so i think the hotel is going to tell her story for a long time the house and the hotel happened on the same timeline kind of seems like um yeah Yeah. so both are now done. Right. What's now? Like, what's Scott doing now? Like, uh-huh. I mean, that was a good, good chunk of your adult life in hotel, the house, getting your kids from babies to adolescence. Like, what are you doing now? What's the next version of Scott? Well, exactly. And I think working on this house and the Emma project were, were very manic all-in kind of projects you know we're working seven days a week sometimes crazy hours sometimes not sleeping at all and you know looking back my wife really enabled all that she really you know we did all these things together um and uh she she made it possible for me to work in that way and i look back and and you know i you know i wish i could have spent more more time with my three-year-olds when they were three and and all that um so, so when these projects finished and my wife got the poet laureate, um, position, uh, that was a real wake up call for me that, you know, maybe I needed to slow down a little bit and let her take off a little bit and switch positions. So, uh, that's been a really good thing for me, um, is just to be around more and be at home and be with the kids and just make food, you know, get people to school. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got six more years before they're all in college, you know, really want to be around for that. And I have a tendency to just go, go, go and, and go all in. So, uh, for the moment, it's kind of nice to take a step back from that. Yeah. That can be an exercise in itself in, I guess, having the discipline to not do what you're, what you tend to do. 
to do something else. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it's kind of the opposite, having the discipline to get up off the couch and go do something. In your case, maybe it's the opposite. Like, Just sit on the couch a little bit. Just stare at the ceiling, you know, yeah. a little bit because there's there's so many ideas that come from that quality downtime you know quality downtime is like really missing in our lives mm-hmm. and it, it's something that we should embrace um it's like negative space in architecture or in artwork like yeah. negative space so important um so yeah i'm trying to harvest some good negative space right now it 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 has been a good time for me to just Take a step back. I stopped teaching photography workshops. I'm not doing any commercial photography. The work with Pearl is done. Um, um, and so it, it's a good time for me to just focus on the artwork and, and family, you know. That's awesome. Just kind of getting back to, to roots in a way. That's cool, man. It'll be interesting to see how your, how your work evolves and kind of what your next body of work is going to be about. Uh, on that note, like, where can people find you? What's the what's the best way for people to keep up with what's going on with Scott Martin? Yeah, martinphoto.com um, is the, the website with the artwork on it. And um, I think there's five or six bodies of work on there. Um, uh, you know, I've got a studio downtown and uh, I do studio visits with um, curators and, and such people that want to see work or, or have prints made. So um, studio visits are, are, are great um, if someone's interested and schedule a little time. And... Very cool. Uh, well, unless there's anything you want to add, I think that was an awesome conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. That's all for today. Love you. Bye-bye.